Yes, please stand for the reading of God's word. Thank you. Our scripture reading this morning is in the book of Matthew, so please turn to Matthew chapter 2, and then follow along as I read verses 1 through 11. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to start with verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring the word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard, king, when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, Till it, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the, the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. We have actually a number of guests today. And so we want to welcome um, uh, David, who's here from New Jersey. Thank you for coming today, David. And uh, first time in a long time, but he's been here before, but I want to introduce Banks to us over here to my left. You just thank you, Banks, for being here with us today. And we have with us all the way from Afghanistan. He heard about our church and just had to come. No, I'm just kidding. But this is Ali who is going to stay with the Stout Cups for a few days. Ali, so nice to have you with us at our church. Thank you for being here. And then we have with us a pastor and his family, his wife, uh, Dustin and Katie Spittler, with their three children, and I believe that's Dustin's dad and mom. Is, it, is that correct? Did you get your, everything good from the pharmacy? Good, good. want you to hear what's going on. Good to see, have you guys with us from Terre Haute. Ter, did I say it? Probably didn't say it right. Forgive me. I butchered it. I could say Indiana. How's that? They're from Indiana, Terre Haute. It's Terre Haute, right? Okay. Uh, so we welcome the Spittlers. And uh, pa- pa- Dustin is a pastor there in the great city of Terre Haute, Indiana. And uh, his brother, Shane, visited our church for a while as well. So uh, we're, we're glad to have our guests with us today. Please take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 22. And the message today I want to preach to you is the foundations of true worship from Genesis chapter 22. I'm not going to read the whole passage here, but we're going to read it as we go through it. Have your Bible open. We're going to look at a number of Scriptures 
as well today. The foundations of true worship. So this is the first time in our English Bible we see the word worship. So that law first mention is important. So I believe this passage establishes some important foundations for worship that carry right on through the whole Word of God. So let's be blessed from this Scripture today. Genesis chapter number 22. And let's, let's start at verse 2 and we'll read down a few verses. And He said, The Lord, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land Moriah, and offer him therefore a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, I and the lad will go yonder, and here's our word for the day, go yonder and worship, and notice, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife. They went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and he said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. Where is the lamb? For a burnt offering. And let's read verse 8 together. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide Himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. Let's pray. Father, we bow in Your glorious presence. We draw near to You in full assurance of faith. In the beauty of holiness, because that's who You are. You are beautiful in Your holiness. And we want to see You, Lord, that we may be more like You today. We worship You that we might be more like Jesus Christ, our Savior. So, Lord, teach us today from the Word of God. Help us to submit ourselves to the truth of Scripture, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, what are the foundations of true worship? As we continue looking at the life of Abraham... Powerfully, verse 5, Abraham said, as we just read, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. What confidence! What assurance! Because the Lord had told him to offer his son for a burnt offering. And yet, Abraham says, we're going to come back to you. So when we worship the Lord, we can be confident in Him. Worship is vital. Really, life is worship when, once you're saved, isn't it? But man is a worshiper. Man is going to worship something or someone. If a man does not worship the one true and living God on purpose, he will worship all other kinds of things accidentally even. He might not even say, I don't worship anything. Oh, yes, you do. All men worship something, someone. Man is a worshiper. If a man does not worship God, he will worship false gods. Or he will worship himself. 
or he may worship, uh, attempt to worship the true God wrongfully, as Israel often did, even in Old Testament with the golden calf. Abraham here shows us the foundations of true worship. What is worship? I define worship simply as the total adoring response of all I am. So worship is all I am giving to God all the glory and praise that is due to His name. Psalm, 29, Psalm 27, please. Psalm 27 and verses 1 and 2 says worship really is us giving to God something. Now that's an amazing thing because God doesn't need anything. But we give Him worship. We render to Him. We, we adore Him. It's all I am, giving to God all the glory. Give unto the Lord, Psalm 29. I'm sorry, this is Psalm 29, verse 1 and 2. Give unto the Lord, ye mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. And then he says what? Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And Jesus is worthy of this worship we will see. So here's the sermon in a sentence. Because men will worship something or someone, we must embrace the foundations of true worship. We must understand worship so we worship God right. So let's look at some of these foundations of true worship from this foundational passage in the book of Genesis. This is ancient text we're reading, but it's the Word of the living God. It's true. God's Word is true. And always will be. So there are six things. We'll try to look at them fairly quickly today. The first one is this. Here's the first foundation of true worship. The true worshiper obeys God's Word. In other words, we must worship God in obedience to the Word of God. So notice what I put here underneath the point. That the true worshiper obeys God's Word. That the Word of God is linked to the true worship of God. So why does Abraham do what he does here? God tells him to. And Abraham does what he does in obedience to the revelation, to the Word of God. So when Abraham says, I and the lad will go yonder and worship... He's going to go yonder and worship because God told him to. He's doing this in what? Obedience. He says in verse 2, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac. Now that's an amazing thing because Abraham did have another son, Ishmael. But he says, take Isaac. And it was Isaac that was offered on that mountain. And it was only Isaac through whom God promised that all the nations of the world will be blessed. Not through Ishmael, but through Abraham's rightful wife, Sarah, and her son, their son together, Isaac. So Abraham worships in obedience to God. We must never worship simply based on our traditions. 
We don't worship God based on, well, this is the way my family has always done it. We don't worship God based on our religious tenets or even the way our church does it. We must worship God according to the Bible. We don't worship based on the traditions of man, the whims of man, the wisdom of man. Look, please, in Mark chapter 7, if you go to please, and if we could turn there to Mark chapter 7, verses 5 through 9. Mark chapter 7, Jesus taught here about worship because the Pharisees believed that Jesus Christ was breaking the Word of God. The Pharisees actually thought Jesus was a sinner. That He broke the Word of God. He broke the Sabbath commands. And here He broke the traditions of cleaning pots and things like that. And eating eating when they should not have eaten. They were eating with defiled hands. Jesus never broke the Word of God. He broke their traditions, but not God's Word. So notice... In verse 5 of Mark 7, Then the Pharisees and scribes asked Jesus, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. (laughs) Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. He says, Yeah, Isaiah talked about you. You are hypocrites. Whoa. As it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So what is vain worship based on that verse? What is vain worship? The commandments of men. If you worship God according to the commandments of men. What's the commandment of men? Anything not in the Bible. If you worship God according to other religious texts. The Bhagavad Gita according to the Book of Mormon, according to the false translation of the Jehovah, Jehovah Witnesses, if you worship God according to the Quran, It's the tradition of men. In vain do they worship Me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. Because ultimately, here's the thing. Once you embrace Man's wisdom. You will break God's Word. Because they're never going to be the same thing. God's Word is God's Word. It's unique and solely the Word of God. You add man's tradition to it, you're going to ultimately end up breaking it. And Jesus actually showed them how they were doing that. We won't get all into it, but He simply says, laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, verse 8, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things you do. And He said unto them, Full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. Not such a powerful statement that Jesus Christ made. So we must be careful that our worship is in obedience to the Word of God. And that was the mistake Israel made when they made that golden calf. They thought they were worshiping the Lord. But they weren't. They were worshiping who they thought was the Lord in disobedience because they made God into an idol. You know the story of Elijah, right? 
and the priests of Baal. It's incredible how the priests of Baal put that sacrifice on their altar. They were trying to call down fire to consume that sacrifice. And they were literally jumping on the altar. So in other words, they were willing to be what? Consumed if the fire fell. But it didn't. Not only did they throw themselves on the altar, but they were cutting themselves and blood was spurting everywhere. So let me ask you this. Were they sincere? <laughs> they were very sincere. But were they in obedience to God? No. They worshipped in disobedience. They weren't worshipping the one true and living God. You know this story? David, the ark. And so David said, let's bring the ark to the place of worship. And so, you know what the people thought of that idea? Great idea, David! Excellent! It was right in the eyes of the Lord. And the passage is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We won't turn there. But David had this idea to bring the ark of God to a public place where everybody could come and worship the Lord. That's a good idea. But he said, let's put it on a new cart. How was the ark supposed to be carried? Not on a new cart. There was specific prescriptions in the law for the ark to be carried with the staves and by the Levites and so forth. And so as the ark was on this new cart and the ox were going along, you know the story, right? What happened? They hit a bump in the road. (laughs) And the ark was going to fall. And Uzzah went out. Oh, the ark cannot fall. And he went out to keep the ark from falling. And when he did that, what happened? Boom! God slayed him right there. You know what David did? David was first upset. It's like, we were trying to do the right thing. And he was, he was super sincere too. He was singing. He was dancing. He, and David was upset. That He's like, what did I do wrong? David, you didn't know the Word of God. That's what you did wrong. And he went back to the Scripture. And even though what he was doing was right in the eyes of the people... It says in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 13, that David realized they did not seek him after the due order. And he made the right adjustments to do it obediently, and then they carried the ark. So we must worship God in obedience. Make sure your worship is grounded in the Word of God, of divine revelation, accompanied by sincere faith. The second thing I want us to see here, going back to Genesis chapter 22, is that the true worshiper sacrifices to God whatever he asks. Worship is sacrifice. And we see that in this passage of Scripture. And so when God asks for something, we say, yes, Lord. And God told Abraham, of course, to take now his son, his only son, the one he loved. 
And he says, get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering. So the true worshiper sacrifices to God what? Whatever he wants. Whatever he wants. And, you know, one of the parts of our worship service is giving. But really, you're, you're making a sacrifice to be here. A sacrifice of time. A sacrifice of energy. A lot of people are not willing to make that sacrifice, believe me. So I praise God for people who want to be in church these days because our culture has become so anti-Christ and post-Christian. So we need to give to God and sacrifice to God. Worship is sacrifice. We sacrifice to God whatever He asks. Why? Because everything we have, He gave to us. And... He has given His all for us. So why should we sacrifice whatever God wants? Because we would have nothing apart from Him, for one. And number two, He's given everything for us. Whatever sacrifice you make or I make could never be as great as the sacrifice God has made for us. And we know that now better in hindsight than Abraham knew it in foresight. Because God gave His Son, Jesus Christ, He spared not His Son. How shall He not with Him also freely give you all things? I want us to see though, God calls to Abraham in verse 1. He said, Abraham. And Abraham said, Behold, here I am. And then God said, Take your son. The point I want to make here is that Abraham was experiencing the very presence and the nearness of God. There was no doubt about what God was asking Abraham to do. And Abraham at this moment was overcome with an overwhelming sense of the nearness of God. For God had clearly called him and clearly spoke to him. And so that is why, in true worship, we will give to God whatever He asks, because what He asks, He clearly asks. And we feel His presence. See, when we worship God, we've got to feel the sense of His presence. That God is speaking to me. So don't make it up, you know, when you make a sacrifice. Make sure it's grounded in Scripture. And then give to God what, he's, what He asks you to give. Maybe you'll feel alone. And Abraham, in a sense, was alone here. He just said Abraham. But Abraham wasn't alone because God was near to him. And that's worship. When you experience the nearness of God. The true worshiper sacrifices to God. Whatever he asks. The true worshiper is worships in obedience to the Word of God. The third thing is, the true worshiper follows God wherever he leads. So the Lord tells Abraham where to go here. Generally, he said, go to the land of Moriah. And we talked a little bit about Moriah last week. 
Moriah is an interesting, super interesting place. My understanding of Moriah is that it, it means to see. It, it speaks of vision. It speaks of what God sees and what we see. The land of Moriah. This is where God tells Abraham to go. Now, Moriah is so incredible as well because this was the traditional site of where Solomon's temple would one day be built. This very spot where Abraham offered his son Isaac is the very same spot because Moriah is only used twice in the in the Scripture, here and in Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, and that is the place where Solomon would build, build his temple, where many sacrifices would be offered, much blood shed, and this was the land of Moriah. This is also now where the Dome of the Rock, the Muslim shrine in Jerusalem, traditionally, could be in this very spot. Now, this is interesting. The Lord tells Abraham to go to a particular place. And that word place follows us through the text here. In verse 2, he says, get thee into the land of Moriah. And verse 3, he says, and he rose up and he went unto the place. And then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place. He saw the place. So there was a place. So, so that leads me to a question. Must you always go to a particular place to worship God? Is there only one place to go to worship God? Abraham could have thought, well, why do I have to go to Moriah? Why can't I just do this here? Why do I have to take a three-day journey? Well, I put here as a subpoint. My little bullet point, you see what it says? That there's something about worship that you do have to do what? Inconvenience yourself. You're going to have to go out of your way in one way or another. Now let's be clear. Worship is not merely an activity that can only be done at a certain place at a certain time. In other words, we have church here. We are in a place. But what if the, the school calls us this week and says we can't meet here next week? Do we say, oh no, we can't worship anywhere because the only place we can go to worship is PS3. And the only time God will hear our prayers is at 11 a.m. No. You know that, right? No. So, worship is not merely an activity to be done only at a certain time and a certain place. Life, once you become saved in a real way, the Christian life is worship. Whether you're at home preparing a meal for your family, whether you're changing the diaper on your little baby, whether you're going to work and taking the train, whether you're going to the store, you could be worshiping God all day long. Amen? That's the truth. Because God is always near to us. God will always hear us. And whatever we do, we do as to Him. But, even as Christians, we do come to a certain place. 
at a certain time to worship. And there's an inconvenience to it. But this is the same way with your devotions in the morning. You say, man, i got to go. i got to go. Oh, but you've got to read the Bible. You've got to pray. <laughs> you've got to worship God personally. Now, some people say, of course, I don't need to go to church. I could just worship God at home. Well, right and wrong. <laughs> Can you worship God at home? Yes, you must. Worship God in your personal life and your personal devotions. But ought you worship God in a public place in the local church? Yes, both are true. Now go to John chapter 4. Jesus, of course, spoke about place of worship in John chapter 4. And Jesus said to the woman of Samaria, He said in verse 20, actually this is the woman of Samaria, Samaria speaking, in verse 20, she said, Our fathers worshipped in this, this mountain. You say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. Well, that's really straight language, isn't it? You don't even know what worship is. Basically, you don't know who you're worshiping and you don't know how to worship. She t- he tells this woman who was of a religious bent. Jesus says, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. In other words, if you don't worship the true God, you don't worship. You have to worship the true and living God. To truly worship. Jesus now says, verse 23, but the hour hour cometh and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father... In spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. Read verse 24 with me, please. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So truth we've already dealt with, the Word of God. But And we, we talked about sincerity before. You could be sincere and not be obedient to the Word of God, and it's false worship. But you could say, well, I'm being obedient to the Word of God, but if your heart is cold and you're, and you're just mouthing words, words or singing words with your lips, and nothing is entering into your heart where you're surrendering and sacrificing and giving God glory, then your worship is vain as well. Spirit here, when he says you wor- we must worship God in spirit, we worship God from our spirit because He is spirit. That's how I read that. Worship flows from the inside of man, from the heart, from our spirit, flowing from our inner man to the glorious God, the Father, His Son, and the Holy Spirit of God. So, worship in spirit emphasizes true sincerity, passion, enthusiasm. As Jesus again said, people draw near to Him with their mouth, but, and they honor Him with their lips, but their heart is far from Him. So, go back to the passage in Genesis, and there's quite an amazing thing here when God tells Abraham to go to this place and Abraham in obedience goes 
And he says, I and the lad will go yonder and worship. Look at verse 6 of Genesis 22. And it says, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac. Now, Isaac was old enough to carry the wood up the mountain. He was old enough to resist Abraham and run away. But he doesn't. Here are two willing worshipers. One is going to slay. The other is going to be slain. Think of that. And what a picture. Abraham took the wood and laid it upon Isaac. What does that remind you of? That reminds us of Jesus. How He carried His wooden cross up His mount, Calvary, to die. And it was a three-day journey. It says, on the third day, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes. I mean, what does it remind you of? (laughs) You know? He carried the wood. On the third day they got there. On the third day Jesus rose again. And when they got there, yea, Abraham offered his son Isaac in type as a sacrifice. But in a sense, God provided the lamb. And in type, Isaac was raised again. Wow. But it's a place. Now, who went to a particular place to worship? We read it this morning in Matthew chapter 2, right? Isn't that incredible? It was really one of the most incredible worship stories of the Bible. That these men came from afar, these magi. They were influential men. They were rulers from the east. Maybe India, maybe further east. We don't really know. I'm not going to get into all that right now. But the point is, they came from afar, and they said they came to worship. And when they came, it says they laid their gifts before Jesus, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. And did you notice what it said in that passage in Matthew chapter 2? In verse 11. Who did they see in Matthew chapter 2 verse 11? Who is mentioned in Matthew chapter 2 verse 11? Who did they see in verse 11? Read, look at it and answer. You can answer. Who did they see? Matthew 2.11. And who else? And they saw Mary. It clearly says they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. And then it says they fell down and worshipped. Who? Him. Not them. They did not worship Mary. Because... And I looked up the word worship. Do you know the last place the word worship is used in the Bible? Micah knows. In the last chapter of the Bible. And what does it say? What does the angel tell John? Worship God. Who is Jesus? He is God. Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. That's who He is. And He's worshipped throughout the New Testament. The man born blind worshipped Him. When Jesus walked on the water, they got in the boat. The disciples worshipped Him. He was worshipped by the leper. Jesus is worshipped again and again. And He never said, don't worship Me, only worship God. No, He received the worship. And here, as a little baby, He is worshipped. And Mary doesn't say, no, don't worship Him. Joseph doesn't say, no, you can't worship Him. No, they worshipped Him because He is God. So we worship 
our Father, His Son, Jesus Christ. And believe me, they came from afar. (laughs) They inconvenienced themselves and they came to a specific place where Jesus was. So sometimes when we worship, we do go to a place. Quickly now, the fourth thing is, the true worshiper approaches God only through blood sacrifice. True worship, and here it is, in the first book of the Bible, the first mention of worship in the Bible, lays a foundational principle for worship. There's one way to get into the access, to access into the presence of God, and it's by the blood of the Lamb. The word used throughout the passage is burnt offering. Verse 2, offer Him therefore a burnt offering. And I put here as a bullet point that we, we don't deserve, and really I don't even know if I'm saying it the best way, but we cannot enter. We, we do not deserve to enter into the presence of God unless our sin is fully paid for through the shedding of blood. And I'm thinking when I make that statement of Hebrews chapter 4 where it says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Why can we come boldly to the throne of grace? Because what has Jesus done for us? Shed His blood. So we have access. The veil of the temple, when He died on the cross, the veil of the temple was rent in two from top to the bottom. So we have that access to God a new and living way by the blood of Jesus Christ. But burnt offering is used throughout this passage of Scripture. Verse 3, He clave the wood for the burnt offering. Verse verse 6, He took the wood of the burnt offering. Now, why is that so significant? A burnt offering. Go to Leviticus chapter 1, please. Quickly, move there. Leviticus chapter 1. And I want to just show you a few bullet points about the burnt offering. It's the first of the five major Jewish offerings. It's the foundational offering. In Leviticus chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, we see that the burnt offering is to be a male and it was not to have any what in it? In verse 3, not to have any blemish. It had to be pure, spotless. And he had to offer it because someone was forcing him to do it. What does it say in verse 3? Offer your burnt offering because somebody's putting, you know, a, a gun to your head and they're, they're twisting your arm behind your back. Offer it how? Voluntarily. A burnt offering is a voluntary, and that's what Abraham is offering here. A voluntary offering. Without blemish, his young son. And then verse 4, notice what it says. He shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering. And there's a transferal there. They put their hand upon the head of the burnt offering, basically transferring our sins to the, to the offering being given. To the sacrifice. And the burnt offering was to make an atonement for him. And now in verse 5, it says they would kill the bullock or kill the animal before the Lord. And then what were they going to do? What would come out of the animal? And what were they going to do with that? Blood would come out and they would sprinkle the blood around. So here again, the burnt offering. There was the shedding of blood. That's the point I'm making in this, in this fourth 
critical foundation for worship that the true worshiper approaches God through blood sacrifice. So what was Abraham going to do to his son? He was going to offer him without blemish, voluntarily. Abraham would put his hands upon the head of his son Isaac, and then he was going to slay him. Blood would, would spill, and he would sprinkle the blood. Abraham knew the only way for forgiveness and access to God was through the blood of the burnt offering. And the burnt offering would be entirely consumed. That's what Abraham was looking at here when he said a burnt offering of his son. Entirely consumed, verses 6 through the following. So go back to our passage. And, and as they're going up the mountain, and Abraham has the fire in his hand, and a knife, and Isaac has the wood. Isaac has a good question for his daddy. He said, Dad, I see here you got the fire and the wood and I got the, uh, and, and, and you have the knife there. But what does Isaac ask in verse 7? Say it for me at the very end of verse 7. What does he say? Where is the lamb? For what? The burnt offering. Where's the lamb? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for what? There it is. A burnt offering. God will provide Himself a lamb. And just another historical illustration of worship and the importance of blood, the first two men ever born. They were born worshipers. Cain and Abel. And Cain's sacrifice that he offered to the Lord was not accepted. And Abel's sacrifice, which he offered to the Lord, was accepted. And I believe God accepted it when He sent, the, he sent fire down upon it to consume it. God didn't send fire upon Cain's sacrifice. Abel offered a blood sacrifice. He was a shepherd and he offered animal sacrifice. The shedding of blood, Abel did. God accepted that offering. Cain offered what? Did Cain offer a blood sacrifice? He offered the fruit. He was a farmer and he offered a works-based sacrifice. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 is very important. It says, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. Now, by faith means what? Faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So both Abel and Cain had the same information. Abel offered a blood sacrifice by faith and obedience. Cain offered a non-bloody sacrifice. God didn't accept it. The only way to truly approach God is through the blood of the Lamb and the ultimate Lamb. Of course, all of this points to Jesus. Colossians 1.14, we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And I've got good news for all of us today. Because as Pastor Carmine mentioned in his Scripture memory, first time, we all struggle in this world with this flesh, with the devil's temptations. None of us are perfect here. All of us are struggling with something. Don't fool yourself. And I won't fool you either. We all have pain. We all have regret. We've all done things we know we're not pleasing to God. We've all sinned. 
and come short of the glory of God. We need a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And we need Him because Jesus shed His blood to forgive us of our sins. And the good news is, there is no sin that you can commit that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot cleanse if you will truly confess your sins to God. The fifth thing is, the true worshiper will please God through His holy fear. The things that we've just gone through now speak of a holy fear of Abraham. His obedience, his great sacrifice, his following God to go to this place, And by the way, a place is important. Because there's only one place where Abraham was going to see that that ram caught in the thicket, right? You had to go to the right place to see the ram. And there is a reason why you come to this place and not, let's say... I mean, there's other good churches that you could go to. I'm not saying that there are not. But there's a reason you come to this place and, let's say, not a Roman Catholic church. Or not the Mormon church. A church, or not a Jehovah Witness watchtower place, because they're not worshiping the one true and living God in obedience in those places. So we need to go to a place that is truly honoring the Lord. I've talked to people recently too, like one one guy I was talking to. He was sitting there drinking a, a beer, and I, but I was talking to him, and and I just and he knew I was a pastor, so you know I kind of have an inroad there, right? So I'm like, yeah, so what, do you go to church anywhere? He said, no, no, when I'm out on my boat, I'm in nature. I, you know, that's where I feel, you know, that's where I worship. I'm like, that's fine, you can do that. But you, we need to go to church. Other people, I was talking to someone else. It's like, do you guys go to church on Sunday? He's like, what? He, he looked at me like I was, I was from Mars, man. He's like, church? What are you... I've got to catch up on my sleep. I mean, that's what it was all about for him. Or he says, we go biking on Sunday. You know, I mean, all these things, people could just fill their life. But we need to come to the place of worship. And as we do all these things, the true worshiper pleases God through holy fear. So, picture this. Abraham stretches forth his hand. He takes the knife. The blade glitters in the morning sun. And he's about to lift up that knife and slash right through Isaac and give him a death wound. (laughs) Abraham! Abraham! God says twice. Urgent. (laughs) Urgent cry. (laughs) Genesis chapter 22. The Lord called to him out of heaven. And Abraham said... I am so glad to hear your voice right now. That is music to my ears. Thank you, Lord. Here I am, right here. I hear you loud and clear. Loud and clear, Lord. And he says, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do now anything unto him. Now I know that you what? That thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. So I have good news for you today, man. It's not easy to come to church on a day like this of all days. You know, the, the fear is all out there and, you know, oh, you're, you know we're all going to get sick and die. You know, whatever they're telling us. I don't listen to the news. We need to trust God eventually and, and ultimately for everything. But he says, now I know. Didn't God know? 
Abraham needs to know. And Abraham, the point here is that Abraham had to live out his faith with a godly fear. And what I define the fear of the Lord, I define the fear of the Lord as this, that the fear of the Lord is a joyful reverence before the glorious God. And that's what God saw in Abraham, a joyful reverence leading him to that Sweet obedience before the glorious God for everything He has done for me. What I could never deserve for myself. What I could never do for myself. See, what we ultimately need done, we don't deserve and we can't do it, but God will. And then that leads me to see God Himself as life's greatest reality. I mean, think about this. For Abraham to do what he did, God had to be really real for him, right? God is the greatest reality. Abraham is showing incredible faith right here. And when it says the fear of the Lord, it means he trusts the Lord. He loves the Lord. He knows the Lord. It's not a cowering fear, but it's a confident faith, really, that he has. It's a joyful reverence in the glory of God. That's what we show when we worship Him. And you know, when you worship the Lord, without faith it is impossible to please Him. But the worshiper pleases God because we have this fear of God. And you know the great enemy of this kind of worship in the fear of the Lord? It's self. It's just purely self. And our self can manifest itself in so many different ways, but selfishness prevents our worship and so we must deny ourselves and die to self and offer to God the sacrifice of praise. And the last thing is this, is that the true worshiper experiences God's great provisions. The true worshiper experiences God's great provisions. So let me just read the text here in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 13. The true worshiper experiences God's great provision. Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead or in the place of his son. So that's the great provision, isn't it? The ram. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Now I know we all say Jehovah Jireh is the Lord will provide, and I'm not going to dispute that, but there's something about Jehovah Jireh that is, it's, it's the place where God sees, where we see God and His provision, where He sees us and our fear of Him. It is the place where the Lord, the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. It shall be seen. Yes, the provision of God. But yes, our fear of God. Both are seen. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. Keep reading. It says, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham out of heaven, and he said, Behold, I by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee. And in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And thy seed shall, and in thy seed, of course this is Isaac, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed 
because thou hast obeyed my voice. God simply says to Abraham, you're going to experience not only this provision of a ram, but you're going to experience all my blessings. I will bless you. You're going to, you're going to be multiplied, your seed. I will multiply you. I will bless you. And I will give you victory. I will give you victory. Because he says, thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And ultimately, that seed is who? Jesus Christ. Who's going to come as a lion. He's going to come again. He came once as a lamb. But He's going to come as a lion. Thank God. As we worship the Lord, we'll experience His great provisions. We'll be able to sing like the angels themselves sing, glory to God in the highest because I have God's blessings. I have God's victory. I'm a conqueror through Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, I have Him. I have His indwelling. I have His righteousness. I have His redemption. I have His peace. I have His power. I have His grace. I have His glory. We have salvation and heaven itself through Jesus Christ. The blessing. Do you know how much blessing we have in Jesus? We have the blessing of the Lord that makes truly rich. So we don't say today, like Isaac said of old, where's the Lamb? We have the blessing of looking to the Lamb and say, behold the Lamb who died for me, and glory to the Lamb, and worthy is the Lamb. Hallelujah for Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. So let's worship Him and say glory to God in the highest and on earth good a peace, goodwill to men. Let's stand together as we pray. Let's be true worshipers of our Lord today. Let's be worshipers in true obedience to the Lord. Responding to His Word. Worship God. Be faithful in your own personal devotions. But be faithful in your local assembly as you are being today. Continue on, beloved. Continue on. Sacrifice to God whatever He asks. What is He asking you to sacrifice? Your life is to be a living sacrifice. To go, to be who He wants you to be. To go where He wants you to go. Maybe He's asking you to sacrifice. Surrender to the mission field in some way. Be a preacher of the Gospel. Or maybe just... Do a particular task for Him. It doesn't have to be a pastor. Maybe He's asking you to be an accountant or a doctor. Follow the Lord wherever He leads. Are you following the Lord? Even if it's inconvenient, are you following Him? Do you realize every time you pray, and when you pray in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name, what are you saying? I've prayed this prayer through the One who shed His blood for me. We approach God through the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? And thank God our sin is fully paid for by Jesus. Do you have a holy fear of God and pleasing God in that? Thank God we can please God. You know, God is not unpleasable. Amen? He's not unpleasable. He tells us how we can please Him. With the faith like Abraham. And then you'll experience His great provision. Free forgiveness. Infinite grace. Eternal blessings. Thank You, Lord, for Your love through Jesus Christ.
thank you for the blessing we have in Christ. How many would say, Pastor Matt, I need to worship God according to these foundational principles more obediently to the Lord. And this message was a help and encouragement for me to worship God in spirit and in truth. Can I see your hand? Just put it up to the Lord and, and then just ask God to take you and use you as you worship Him that His blessings will be poured forth upon you. As you say, glory to God. Say it with me. Glory to God in the highest. Hallelujah. You can put your hands down. Is there anyone who would say, Pastor Matt, I'm not saved. I need Jesus Christ to be my personal Savior. I need to repent of my sin. I need to believe on Christ. Because if I die today, if your heart is telling you, I'm not sure where I'm going to go when I die today. If you're not sure about going to heaven, you need to make sure today, right now, today. Is there anyone who would say, Pastor Matt, pray for me. I need to know for certain I'm on my way to heaven. Father, thank You for Your love. Bless us now through the day. We love You in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing these two stanzas.